Hello and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I am your host, Leah Pilkonis. As contractors draw up their plans for 2023, worries about inflation, supplies of labor and materials, and a possible recession compete for attention with the prospect of large new opportunities in some sectors. Two of the nation's leading construction economists are about to join me to discuss the conflicting trends. I'd like to welcome to Constructor Cast Michael Gukas. He's a senior economist with Construct Connect. He has over 20 years of experience in economics, including eight years in civil construction and six years in manufacturing. Michael joined Construct Connect's economics team in 2022, and he shifted his focus to the commercial construction market. And also with us today is AGC's chief economist, Ken Simonson. Ken's been AGC's economist since 2001. He's a fellow and past president of the National Association for Business Economics. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be with you again. Yeah, thank you. Glad to have you. So I have some questions that I've jotted down to ask you, but I really want you to feel free to jump in and ask questions of one another as well. So we can kind of keep this a free flowing conversation and um, you guys can dialogue back and forth on some of these important things that we want to cover. But the first question I'm going to kick to Ken, where do you think the economy is headed based on what you're hearing from NAIB and other sources? And what do you think that suggests for construction? Well, let me start by admitting that I'm a perpetual optimist. And in this case, I think it's well-grounded. I know that a lot of our fellow economists believe the U.S. is headed into recession, probably a short and mild one, but uh, I don't even think we'll see that. I think the fact that job growth has remained very strong, uh, that uh, consumers have a lot of buying power, that the inflation rate at the consumer level has been coming down, and that businesses also generally are still reporting good profits, and the government at all levels has a lot of revenue to spend, uh, whether it's for construction, for defense acquisition, uh, for many other things. All this suggests to me that we'll continue to see job growth and growth in gross domestic product, the measure of all economic activity, net of imports and net of inflation. Those things will keep growing in 2023. So if they're growing, it's hard to see how you're facing a recession. But in particular, I think construction is going to have a positive year, but one that will see a lot of changes. Michael, what would you like to add to that? Are you as optimistic as Ken? And Ken, we love your optimism. I could only wish I was as optimistic. I think uh, the challenges are many. Uh, and I think, you know, Ken and I on a lot of areas are going to agree that there's a certain amount of volatility in the construction market in particular. And so we need to be looking for pockets of opportunity as business leaders should always be looking for, you know, where's the best place for my company to direct itself with its resources in the coming year. You know, some of those areas are probably more evident than others. Energy would probably be a, a strong area to look at, especially as we think about a bifurcated energy market. What does the world do if we start to remove Russia's influence from the European and North American energy markets, for example, and you know to see what's happening in Germany, right? They're creating 
energy facilities in months that typically take five years to produce. That is astonishing, right? That is a game changer. For example, in one section of the greater construction picture, residential, on the other hand, is going to be, I think, a much more challenging market just to give a simple contrast, right? We're seeing rising interest rates. We're seeing challenges with real disposable income at the family level. So there are some things at the very macro level that I'm I'm concerned about, and I'm concerned about them because they're going to have certainly disparate impacts across the construction spectrum. And so, you know, it becomes a matter of, in 2023, I keep telling people as construction leaders, we need to think harder, not just work harder. And and so, again, it's all about understanding the construction landscape, right? Looking at all the verticals and understanding which ones will have the greatest potential for 2023 and then figuring out how to align your resources to tap into those areas of, of greater potential growth. Michael, I know Construct Connect collects tons of information about construction plans. What is that data telling you about the outlook for the economy and for the various construction segments that we just talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So Construct Connect uh, works very diligently to collect as much data as possible on non-residential and civil construction. We also collect uh, information on residential, but our real focus is on the non-residential and uh, civil side. And what we're seeing there is a bit of a, again, this challenging picture I'm talking about, but with definitely opportunities interspersed throughout, right? So when we think about our 2023 outlook, for example, I can give you a couple of ideas of what we're talking about here. When we think about, uh, again, power infrastructure, right? We're going to expect almost uh, an 80 to 90% increase in spending in that area going into 2023. On the civil side, uh, overall, we see roughly a 7% increase in construction starts spending going into next year. We have other areas like community is another really strong category where we're looking at double digit gains. The challenging part is right where this is going to be offset. And so we look at things like industrial and we see that down double digits going into next year. Non-residential building at a very high level, we see that down strong single digits. So that's part of the challenge is that the landscape, there's opportunities everywhere. And I could go on and on. And all of this data is available through our Construct Connect website underneath our economic resources. There's so much to look at in this landscape. And so for those firms that are part of this industry, right, it's very important to understand which verticals are going to succeed. And then also geographically speaking, we see a lot of geographic dispersion, even within states, right? We can see, uh, pick a state like a Georgia, an Ohio, a California, and we see even within these areas, uh, geographically speaking at the MSA level, we see great growth in some parts of Georgia and we see you know, almost 20% contraction in others. So it's, it's a very interesting landscape going into next year. Ken, I'd like to get your thoughts on all of this. What construction categories do you think are gonna do particularly well or are at risk of lagging next year? Well, I certainly agree with Michael that it's going to be a volatile year. It's going to look quite different for contractors from 2022. As he mentioned, uh, residential is facing a severe challenge. Uh, We've already seen a decline in housing starts and building permits and home sales. And uh, these pretty well guarantee that once houses that are already under construction and or were contracted for before interest rates shot so high that uh, we'll see a downturn in new single-family home construction. 
It has interesting implications for the other residential segments, though. To the extent that people had money that they were going to put into buying a home and now they find the price of the house has gone too high or the monthly payments are no longer affordable, they may be willing to spend more to fix up the houses that they're in. And some of them will still need to move. And so this will give a boost to uh, multifamily. Uh, But overall, I think developer finance categories, by which I would include multifamily, warehouse, retail, office, even hotel construction, all of those, the developers face the twin challenge of rising construction costs, rising financing costs, and less willingness to pay higher rents to cover those costs. We've already seen uh, reports in some markets where apartment rents have started to decline. And uh, in general, we're not going to see the kind of double-digit increase in either rent or home prices that we had. And uh, similarly, the warehouse market, uh, some things may be finishing up in the next few months, but after that, uh, we'll find a lot less demand for new warehouse space, a big change from the last several years. Retail has risen sharply in percentage terms over the last year, but it's still way below where it was three years ago, that there's been big shrinkage and around our offices, you know, Leah, a lot of vacant space. And uh, so I don't think retail is going to do well uh, next year either. But offsetting these declining markets, if the greater growth in manufacturing, which is already in a very hot market right now with uh, these enormous uh, semiconductor fabs with uh, electrified vehicle and battery plants for them going up in so many states, but other kinds of manufacturing coming on strong. I think that money promised by the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act of November 2021 will finally hit the street or or hit the excavations uh, next year. uh, We haven't seen contractors report that they're doing any work under that yet because there are a lot of steps between uh, passing a bill and, and getting state or local agencies or federal agencies to actually announce who's eligible, solicit bids, and award the projects and for the contractors to start work. But by 2023, a lot more money will be showing up in highway and transit, other transportation modes, water, sewer, and uh, broadband. And then the third big federal act that passed in the last year or so, the Inflation Reduction Act, offers tax credits and other incentives for alternative energy, for battery charging and battery storage and carbon capture. So these are new markets that uh, almost by definition will have good percentage increases. Uh, Finally, one that I think has uh, been strong all along and will remain strong is data centers. I look mainly at Census Bureau figures on construction put in place, and it's an internal frustration to me that Census doesn't break out data centers from office construction. Michael may have much more insight into that because he gets much more disaggregated data on the type of project. So be eager to hear if he has anything to say about that niche. Michael, you want to jump in? And I wanted to hear if you had additional thoughts, too, on the power generation along with the energy exploration. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting, right? Let's just start with energy real quick here, just because it's an easy one to focus on. But power generation like data centers, like EV batteries, these are all strategic industries recognized not only because of their importance to everyday life, but because of their national strategic importance as well. And so, you know, what I suspect we're going to see is two things happen, right? Worldwide, 
we're going to see a way, like I was saying before, to restructure the existing fossil fuel energy markets to deal with some of the geopolitical actions that are taking place there. But the other thing that we're going to see too is probably a renewed emphasis on renewable energy efforts and alternative energy efforts. And I think Ken did a fantastic job of looking at how politicians and regulators are really pushing in that direction to make that happen. So again, that's that's fantastic. I think Ken is absolutely on point there. So, but you know, in every change, right, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I, I see that as both a challenge and an opportunity for the construction industry. So going into 2023, again, there's going to be a lot of great opportunities. They won't be everywhere, but they will be out there. Having said that, I think one of the things that we can also elaborate on is the idea of the importance of mega projects, right? When we look at our data, pre-COVID, mega projects made up barely more than about 10% of all of the construction projects that we were seeing. In the last few months with all that's happening, whether it's an Intel plant to produce uh, semiconductor chips in Ohio, we have all sorts of EV plants sprouting across the country everywhere. Those are also huge multi-billion dollar investments. And so I think there's a lot to be said about what's going to happen in the construction space because of those mega projects. Now there's something too that I would love to hear from Ken or, or other experts, which is, you know, how do these mega projects find their home, their physical home, right? There are, I'm sure, plenty of deals being made at uh, government levels, at official levels, right? Tax incentives, uh, rebates, all these other things that make it happen. And so the construction industry is going to have to work more closely with those in official positions, I think, to really fight hard for those mega projects, which which again, like I said, are somewhere around 30% of the starts dollars that we're seeing in recent months. So that's a big deal. And that's going to be, I think, an important game changer for the industry going into 2023 and, and in future years beyond that as well. So there's a lot to consider. And I think there's a lot for those construction leaders to be doing, a lot of phone calls to be had and, and a lot of coordination, right, between our, our construction community and our, uh, and our recognized officials to make sure that everyone's state is as competitive as they can be for, for the sake of the, uh, you know, local construction industries in those areas. Ken, did you want to chime in with anything else? Any thoughts on the mega project topic? Uh, no, I think Michael's covered that well enough. Okay. Great. Thank you both. Michael, I'm going to stick with you for a minute. Let's talk about how supply chains and inventory management could affect the industry in 2023, looking into 2024. What are your predictions there? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time looking at this because we've seen big changes in new orders at the manufacturing levels. And what happens there is that, you know, when you have these large changes in, in new orders, when you have shifts, everything else follows suit. So production will adjust, uh, supply chains will adjust, employment levels adjust, backlog levels adjust, and they all adjust with a different amount of lag. And that's something that on the manufacturing side, I've spent a lot of years looking at. Now, what happens on the construction side too is something similar. I think what we're seeing is on the construction side, specifically higher or elevated inventory to sales ratios. When we look at construction materials, on the whole, we see inventory to supply levels that are at cyclical highs. So they're not at some sort of exceptional high, but when we think of the business cycle and the ebbs and flows of the typical business cycle, 
we get ebbs and flows in, in inventory to supply levels. And right now, those levels are at sort of those cyclical highs. What it would suggest to me is that we don't want to be hoarding. I remember in, in the last over the last two years, I've seen and heard from a lot of firms that are talking about that. They're talking about how they hoarded it essentially at one point. They use that word almost with pride. Hey, I was hoarding a good because I'm just so desperate for everything and I never know what I'm going to need. And if someone comes to me with a big order, I want to be able to fulfill it. And so there were a lot of firms that were uh, talking about using hoarding as a strategy and they, they talked about it openly. That is not the strategy for 2023. The strategy for 2023, I think it's going to be something of a hybrid. We're not going to go back to the large global supply chains and just in time uh, strategies that we use pre-pandemic, but we're not going to be hoarding either. I think you're going to have something in between. And the reason I say that is because of what's happening in the shipping markets, the lines between the nodes, as I like to say. Uh, when we look at what's happening with ship traffic, ship volume, trucking volumes, rail volumes, all of those measures of activity across those modes of transportation, they're all starting to cool. And the other thing to remember too, especially on the ship side, there's data out there available from freight waves and other ship tracking specific firms that suggest that there's going to come online in the next few short years a huge increase in the number of ocean going container ships. So if we get a 30 or 40% increase in the capacity of the container ship vessel fleet worldwide, that's really going to do a lot to pressure prices. So, so supply, essentially, those, those lines of supply are going to increase their capacity, I think, dramatically in the next couple of years because of all that's happened. And that's going to really press down those international prices for shipping goods. And then that's going to, again, reinvigorate something of a hybrid, right? We're not going to be using ocean-going ships for nearly as much of the global capacity that the manufacturers and the industry need, but we're going to be somewhere in between what we have today or in 2021 and 2020 and what we had prior to that. There's so much to be said when it comes to the outlook for uh, supply chains. It's just, it's going to change, that is for sure. And I think what we need to make sure is that the construction leaders out there are just aware of that, that they're going to have to find that middle ground. No, that's great. Really insightful and useful information. Let's let's switch and talk about uh, material costs. Ken, I know you follow this very, very closely. What has happened to the costs lately and what do you expect in the months ahead? Well, what I don't expect is to see costs get back to where they were. And uh, I think most contractors uh, have reconciled themselves to that. But we are seeing quite a few areas of improvement. Uh, steel prices have come down very sharply. Lumber prices are back to approximately uh, pre-pandemic levels. And gasoline now, as of this week in early December, selling at retail for about the same as it did a year ago. That's not where it was three years ago, but it's a whole lot better than $5 a gallon gasoline. Unfortunately, diesel fuel still has a large gap over the gasoline price. But uh, diesel has also come down in the last few weeks. Diesel, I think, is a lot more sensitive to what's going on in Europe. Namely, the cutoff of Russian supplies to Europe mean that they're buying a lot more U.S. Uh, diesel fuel and also natural gas. And that has implications for construction, both uh, directly in that the contractors run a lot of trucks, a lot of off-road diesel-powered equipment, and they're taking thousands of deliveries to most job sites, all of which are coming by truck. 
to the extent diesel prices get reflected in those delivery costs, contractors are very sensitive to that. But the actual materials that go into construction jobs, the ones that are of greatest concern to me right now are concrete. We have seen allocations or shortages of concrete products in nearly every state. And the U.S. has not added cement making capacity for over a decade. And meanwhile, other cementitious materials, fly ash and slag, that uh, have been added to make uh, some concrete products, those supplies are also diminishing as the coal-fired power plants that supplied that as a byproduct or raw material, they're being shut down. To the extent that we're going to be investing more in concrete-intensive infrastructure and in other facilities, uh, this is likely to be a major challenge for contractors in 2023 and, frankly, beyond. Another area that's still of concern is anything having to do with electrical equipment. I heard uh, earlier this week that uh, the lead time for switch gear, which I had been told in May, had doubled from 20 weeks to 40 weeks out of a particular plant. Uh, now it's 80 weeks, which is an awful long time to wait uh, to provide power to a facility. Also, transformers, whether it's the cylindrical box that goes outside on a uh, utility pole or the more customized large stuff for big plants, those have extremely long lead times, very tight supply. So I think uh, that's going to be a major area of concern. And then there are some things that you may not even think of as being construction inputs, uh, resins that go into paint. Those are also in demand for semiconductor fabs and for coating EV batteries. And as a result, paint costs are going up and uh, the lead times on getting some things delivered are a problem. So overall, I think we'll still have some significant supply chain challenges in 2023. Materials cost, not the headline making a 20% increase that we had for 12 straight months last year and uh, through 20, the first half of 2022, uh, but still more elevated than consumers will be experiencing. Ken, this is probably a good time, too, for you to mention your very popular construction inflation alert that you do for AGC. I know an updated edition was just published. Can you say a few words about that? And we'll link to it from the show notes. Okay, great. Thanks, Leah. Yeah, it's a nine-page document that is intended to help owners, officials, and others understand what's going on with materials costs, supply chain, And the topic we haven't yet talked about, labor availability, which I think will actually be the number one concern for probably a majority of contractors in 2023. And uh, I I regret that I've had to do nine editions of this, but the market does keep changing uh, so frequently that this is the most recent uh, and has a lot of information that we didn't have in the previous edition. Let me let me follow up just sure. a couple of thoughts on the material side. Ken did a fantastic job uh, explaining, I think, the, the big picture on the material side. Let me give you a couple of other thoughts about it real quick. I think his comments on cement are great. I fully agree. The comments on, well, metal for sure. And we can look at copper pricing. Uh, copper spot prices have come down quite a bit. And if you look at the history of, of a lot of the, the metals and other construction commodities, uh, they typically copper is a good bellwether 
for where prices are heading and copper has come down quite a bit in the last few months. So I think there's some pressure there. Uh, when we look at overall construction material price changes over the last two and a half years, we saw a great surge right, in material prices uh, and we saw at the same time, the bid prices were not able to rise as much, right? The construction firms are locked in to certain price contracts. So they were not able to chase after those rising prices as quickly. We've seen a transition now. We've seen that as the material prices have fallen, that index is declining when you look at it as on a PPI index type basis. Uh, we see those final bid prices I think starting to climax and that index is maybe starting to correct and move a little bit lower too. So those are all very good things. And part of that we'll get to is labor induced. Uh, but the other thing too that I really wanna stress is the idea of energy intensive goods. Going into next year, you know, like Ken said, cement is one of those products. It can take a lot of energy to produce the components of it. Same is true with glass and a lot of the other steel products. I'm concerned that going into next year, when we look at energy prices today and where they could go next year, especially because the biggest challenges with energy in Europe won't come this winter. They'll be arriving next winter, in fact, when we need to refill those stockpiles. Those stockpiles in Europe were already at a good position going into this winter before the pipelines from Eastern Europe and Asia were cut off. And so next year is going to be the real test of what happens to energy prices. So there's all that risk. Now, all that risk will have an impact on material costs, things like metal, glass, anything that is very energy intensive, right? So we need to be, I think, be aware of that going into 2023, that we could see an uptick in particular goods that are, you know, just so closely tied to energy prices. Lots of great information you shared on supply chain issues, material pricing. You both hinted at the qualified worker issue, the other top three that we keep hearing. So contractors have been saying for years that finding qualified workers is their biggest problem. Do either of you see the situation changing in 2023 for better or for worse? Well, unfortunately, I think it's likely to continue to be a severe problem for contractors whose work resembles residential, that is uh, light commercial work, broadly speaking. Yeah, they may be able to attract workers who are no longer doing home building. But for the growth areas that I'm expecting, heavy industrial and power and infrastructure, there isn't that much transferability of skills from putting up a wallboard in a house or doing driveways to uh, the kinds of things that will be needed. So construction is still going to have a real challenge attracting the workers that it needs to the kinds of projects that will be undertaken. And while the overall economy has seen some dip in job openings, construction continues to set records compared to previous years for any given month. So I don't see any let up in 2023. If anything, wage costs are going to go even higher, overtime costs are going to go even higher, and companies will have to be spending more on training the workers that they do have because they won't have the skills that companies used to be able to find. Michael, additional thoughts on that? Absolutely. So when we think about the labor force, we think about that important age group of you know, roughly 18 to 25. I think that we really, as an industry, construction needs to do a lot more to attract that age group to the industry. When I'm talking in Canada and in the United States, I always hear 
as we all do, you know, how proud we are as countries to be sending such a high proportion of our young people onto university. And while that has its benefits, what we are seeing is, is a uh, disconnect between the skills that are needed and the skills that are being taught and trained up. We're seeing a lot of things, right? Birth rates is one challenge. We've seen falling birth rates, which simply means that we have uh, slower growing populations. A lot of times that's been made up for with immigration, but immigration was upset because of COVID. So there's a, an immediate stop in a very important stream of labor right there. And then the other challenge too is the indirect effects of COVID, right? We've seen higher costs for daycare. We've seen uh, challenges with people needing to take care of family members. We've seen a lot of people leave the workforce for very good reasons, very, I think, important reasons. And those aren't uh, reasons that can be easily uh, solved. If we have a, a problem with affordable daycare, well, we need more daycare workers well, we already have a worker shortage, you're going to pull more people into daycare. Well, that just creates shortages in other areas. And so we have a couple of, I think, systematic or systemic challenges that are really facing us. And that is going to shrink the available labor supply. So all told, as Ken was saying, uh, when it comes to demographic economics, it's really the easiest thing for us economists to predict because we know that a child born today is going to need exactly 18 years until they turn 18 years old. And so with that kind of simple math uh, on our side, uh, we can understand that, that, yeah, labor is going to be one of those variables in the construction space that's going to have an outsized impact on uh, cost and the growth of the industry moving forward. One last thing I would stress too is there used to be this idea that the worst thing that we could do as an industry is to hire somebody, train them, and then see them leave for a competitor or go somewhere else. That used to be the worst thing. The worst thing that we can actually do though is to hire somebody, not train them, and they stay. That is actually the very worst thing that could happen. And if we look at the productivity figures, at a broad level, we're actually seeing productivity per hour of labor decreasing. This is something that we haven't seen like this in decades. We have seen, if you look at the productivity per labor hour figures, uh, those have been on an upward trend for a long, long time. So the challenges that we're seeing today, I think, speak to this mismatch of how labor has been skilled up versus how it's actually needed. And what are we going to do to fix that is something that the construction, that the industry leaders really need to strategically think about and really apply themselves to solving that problem. A lot of times I think we assume that it's someone else's problem, but it's gotten to the point where it's so tenuous. It's so it's such a difficult problem at this point that we really have to be leaning into it uh, strategically and thoughtfully. That's what I'm seeing from a lot of construction associations. I think that it's going to be one of those big changes for many construction groups. Uh, moving forward. How do we use associations and other NGOs? And how do we bring in academia, right? How do we bring in the skilled trades industry, right? How do we support them to fix this problem? Because systematically, it has to be solved. It's not going to be solved with, with uh, simple fixes. Michael, what are your thoughts on particular locations across the country that you think will be especially strong or weak for construction? So I follow where the workers go. 
if we look at internal migration to the U.S., we see that essentially the South and the Southeast regions of the country are sucking labor away from everywhere else. So we see people leaving the Northeast, the New England states. We see people leaving the Midwest. We see people leaving the Northwest and everywhere in between. And so I would say, you know, we need to consider that in our thinking about where we're where we can expect the growth to be, right? Uh, we're going to see infrastructure grow where there are more people located. And so you think of in Atlanta, you think of some of the major cities in Florida. Uh, you look at Texas, that's another great example of a, of a strong growth area, uh, both in population and uh, in terms of economic growth. So I tend, to, when I have a question about, you know, where do we, what's one proxy for, for economic growth or what's one indicator of economic growth and therefore construction growth? Well, I would say follow the people. Any closing comments? Well, I think that construction is in for a positive year, but one that's going to have a large rotation away from home building and from developer financed or commercial categories, depending how you define commercial, and toward infrastructure, manufacturing, power construction. And I think that rotation is going to last probably more than a year. That uh, While I'm not expecting a recession, and I don't think uh, interest rates are going to climb super high, uh, I think that uh, uh, we have a lot more inventory, if you will, of office and of retail and probably of warehouse space uh, than the economy is ready to digest for a while. But uh, we're also seeing a lot of money being pushed into those other categories, manufacturing and infrastructure, and a lot of desire for uh, generating electricity in new ways and then needing to store it to match when demand hits and uh, new ways of putting it into all of these electric vehicles that are going to be produced. So I think the construction industry a year from now will be quite different from what we see today and two years from now even more so. Michael, parting words? Sure. Like Ken said, there's going to be a rotation. I think that's a, a really good word to use for what we're about to see. And just like we've seen in past periods when the economy is a little cooler than we want it to be, I think diversification is oftentimes a great strategy for business leaders, for the, the industry, right? Uh, you don't want to put all of your ducks in a single vertical. You don't want to put all of your bets in a single geography, if you can help that. You want to be open to diversification ideas. I think we saw that serve a lot of firms well coming out of uh, the Great Recession. So what what we saw happen in 2011 through, say, 2014, uh, we saw firms that were more diversified do significantly better and come out of that challenging period in a better position. And to the degree that you know, we could see a slowdown or, or some cooling to some level in 2023, maybe even parts of 2024, it suggests you know, that, that uh, we need to be open and available to those opportunities where we can find them uh, you know, for the good of everybody. Well, thank you both for your time today and for the information that you shared. I wanna mention that AGC has quite a bit of economic news and resources online. We're going to put those links in the show notes. Construct Connect, same thing. You mentioned at the top of the recording, Michael, your construction economic resources page and your construction economic news page. We're going to link to those. So if you'd like to find out more and dig a little deeper, I'll encourage you to check out those sites. 
So thank you all for listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast. You can search for the Constructor Cast in your podcast app or stream and download all available episodes right from your computer. Just visit www.agc.org/constructorcast. <laughs>